Thank you for checking out this video. My name is Lindsay, and I'm so excited that you're here for this message from Redemption Church. Well, good morning. Welcome to Redemption Live. Happy Easter. I'm so glad you guys have decided to join us. My name is Stephen, and again, happy Easter. If you're new around Redemption, thanks for making Easter your first service uh, with us. Uh, we're going to be in the book of John today, and so if you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 20, John chapter 20 this morning. What I want to do is I want to look and see how do we respond to the news of the resurrection. And so we're going to look at a few different characters. They're real people, but we'll call them characters here. Uh, as we look through the resurrection account from the book of John. Now, John actually is going to write himself into the story. And so we'll see him in there. We'll see a guy by the name of Peter. Uh, we saw him on Good Friday. It wasn't a great day for him. Uh, and then we're going to see a few other individuals in this story as well. Again, if you're new to Redemption, thank you so much for joining us. To those of you who are part of the Redemption Church family, uh, thanks for journeying along with us online over these last few weeks and staying connected uh, via Facebook and email and Instagram and everything else. And our hope over these next few weeks is to just stay connected and to continue to grow in our love for Jesus. We believe the Bible is as relevant today as it has ever been. And what uh, there is no more important day uh, to believe that than the day that we're celebrating, Easter. And so let's look into this story. John chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, now on the first day of the week, Sunday, the first day of the week. This actually, this day that we're celebrating Easter changed the way Christians worship, or at least changed the day that Christians worship. And so now we celebrate Jesus on Sunday. So on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. Now here's our new uh, character, a new person. Mary uh, was introduced in the gospel accounts back in Luke chapter 7. So probably a year or two before this particular moment of, of this part of the story. And Mary's former profession uh, before she met Jesus was as a prostitute. And so on one particular account, Mary approaches Jesus now, Jesus at that point was like an up-and-coming rabbi, and rabbis typically didn't associate with people of Mary's profession. And so people looked on when Mary approached Jesus and thought, what's, what's going on here? Why would he even let somebody that dirty get close to him? Why would he, why would he do that? And Jesus did, in Luke chapter 7, allow Mary to get close. Now, I know some of you watched The Da Vinci Code, and so your head's going a little crazy right now, and you're like, was there something going on between Mary and Jesus? No, there wasn't, right? Jesus uh, just loved Mary like he would have loved any person. And so Mary comes up and actually pours some perfume out and cleans Jesus' feet, which was an act of service back then. And Jesus doesn't stop her from doing this, even when his disciples are like, get away from him. Jesus says, no, this is, this is okay. And Jesus actually says some famous words during this little interaction. He says, those who are forgiven little, love little. Those who are forgiven much, love much. And then later he would add to this, I came not for the healthy, but the sick. I came for those who would know that they had sin in their lives and they wanted that sin forgiven. And Jesus had said that in those moments. And then uh, what we celebrated or talked about last Friday, a few days ago, was the actual payment for that sin. When Jesus went to the cross, when he finished the work of our salvation, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, the wrath of God fell on Jesus and he paid for our sins. And so here we are now. A few days later, Sunday morning, and Mary 
See, the day before was Sabbath, and so Mary, as a good Jewish observer, wouldn't have, you know, wanted to violate the Sabbath. So she waited for the first moment she got where she could go serve Jesus. And so on this Sunday morning, when when Mary is approaching uh, the the tomb of Jesus, she's not approaching it because she thinks Jesus has resurrected. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that she's approaching it because she wants to um, prepare Jesus's body or, or put ointments on Jesus's body, spices around Jesus's body. This was just an act of service. Mary loved Jesus and she loved Jesus so much she wasn't going to let anything, even his death, stop her from serving him. And so Mary wanted to love and serve Jesus. And so she takes the first opportunity she gets. The text says this, she came to the tomb early while it was still dark, still dark. Friday, the the Good Friday, uh, had started off light and had ended in darkness. This day was going to start in darkness and end in light. Perhaps today you woke up and your day started in spiritual darkness. It can end in light. It can end in knowing Jesus. And so this day started in darkness. They had not yet known that the resurrection had occurred. They thought their hopes, their dreams, their belief had died literally in the person of Christ. And so the day began in darkness. And Mary approached the tomb early. One scholar, not just one, many scholars and commentaries believe that one of the reasons that Mary was going to marry a woman, going to the, um, the tomb of Jesus uh, and not the men, the disciples, is because on that day, there would have been a feast. And on that particular feast, which would have commemorated the old covenant, uh, the men were bound to go to the feast. And Mary, as a woman, was not bound to go to the feast. And so while the men were all getting ready to go to a feast to commemorate the old covenant, G- uh, Mary was going to the, uh, the tomb to usher in the new covenant. See, Some of these people, they still were trapped under the old covenant. They were still trapped under the idea that that Jesus was uh, just a a figure, just just another rabbi, just another teacher, not yet the one who had finished the work of the old covenant and was bringing in something new. Sometimes this happens even in modern day Christianity. We get caught up in the old covenant instead of the new one. You might know you're still under the old covenant um, when you're still at home and the worship has already begun. Mary was so excited, so eager to serve Jesus. She didn't even know he had resurrected yet. She just loved him so much that she wanted to take the first opportunity. And when you experience the love and the resurrection of Christ, it changes you in a way that, uh, that whenever you get the opportunity, you just want to worship him. And so while others were still living under an old covenant type of life. Mary, Mary was ready to serve Jesus. And so she ran to the tomb. She went to the tomb. Now, here's the thing. Mary's going to the tomb, but the tomb is covered up by a massive stone. We've heard this part of the story. A massive rock was covering the tomb. And so even as Mary is approaching the tomb, she hasn't figured out how she's actually going to serve Jesus. She hasn't figured out how she's actually going to get into the tomb. I mean, it's blocked by a stone that she could not have rolled away. But with faith, by faith, And this is already beginning to teach us that in this new post-resurrection following Jesus, it's going to require faith. 
It's going to take faith to follow Jesus. And so Mary is approaching, believing in faith. She's going to be able to get in and serve. And as she gets there, she sees that the stone is rolled away. Now in John's account, it doesn't tell us how that happened, but Matthew's account does. It says that there was an earthquake and that there were angels. So in the supernatural, the angels rolled away. In the natural, it looked like an earthquake. In that story, it was beginning to teach us something about this post-resurrection relationship with Jesus. It's both natural and supernatural. As Christians now, we experience natural and the supernatural. Salvation works this way. In the natural, somebody proclaims the gospel using their voice. In the supernatural, Jesus is doing something. The Holy Spirit is doing something underneath. Maybe you've only experienced Christianity and Jesus in the natural. You've heard the stories. Intellectually, maybe it even makes sense to you. But you haven't yet experienced the supernatural, the inward transformation of the heart. It hasn't gone from mind to heart to soul yet. For Mary, she sees the stone rolled away and she looks at it. One account says she goes, wow, whoa. What happened? And she begins to run. She begins to run. Mary's going to do a lot of running today. She runs and she goes, finds Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is John writing himself into the story. And she says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Mary runs back there and she gives the first pronouncement the first pronouncement of post-resurrection. Now, they don't know he's resurrected yet, but she gives the first uh, announcement of uh, post-resurrected Jesus. And here's what it is. It's a, it's a statement of fact. So she arrives and she tells the people, the, the, the stone is rolled away and his body's gone. And this is a statement of fact. It, it, it's a historical account. Uh, Mary saw the empty tomb herself, so the stone gone. His body's not here. And so she makes the statement. Now, according to um, historical and even modern standards of, of what something, uh, how, how you have to prove something as a historical fact, the resurrection accounts, that which happens after the resurrections uh, story, uh, the way it's recorded throughout history, the manuscripts that we have, uh, I mean, this historical fact from all standards all standards of academia, uh, academia and, and anything else would say that this is a real actual account. There are enough witnesses, the way the story is told. And so the first pronouncement about Jesus post-resurrection is an undisputable historical fact. The body wasn't there. It was gone. There was no body and the, and the stone was rolled away. This is announcement number one. And so Mary goes and she makes the announcement. And Peter and John. A little bit about Peter and John. Peter and John were two of Jesus's closest disciples. Uh, Peter and John got to see some things that no one else got to see, um, not the other disciples. They were up on the mountain when Jesus had transfigured. Story for another day. Uh, Peter was actually the one who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God first. And then right after that, Jesus said, yes, and I have to die. And then Peter said, don't ever say that. And then Jesus called him Satan. Again, another story for a different day. Peter's last interaction with Jesus though, was what? Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, I will never do that. And then Peter did deny Jesus three times. And so this moment right now for Peter, uh, his last interaction was his worst. 
And then for John, what was John's last interaction with Jesus? Well, John here claims that he was the one who, whom Jesus loved. John's last conversation with Jesus was when Jesus was actually on the cross and Jesus looked out and he goes to John, and he goes, hey, can you, uh, can you take care of my mom while I'm gone? And John goes, okay, I'll do that. And so John's last interaction is a good one. Take care of my mom. Peter's last one is not so good. He denies him three times. And so think about that in the back of their head as they hear the tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. And so Peter and John, it says, they stand up. Uh, Peter went out and the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. Both of them were running together. In this post-resurrection life of following Jesus, we're supposed to run together. We're supposed to run together. Look at the person next to you right now and say, it's time we start running together. Some of you, that might lead to fights in your marriage. So don't actually say that. Running together. I have a friend that I've started running with. He's old, um, er, and slow, er, which is the perfect running mate, right? Because then you don't have to run so fast. Peter and John are kind of like that too. One of them's quicker than the other one. And so they both start running together. And as they're getting there, uh, the other disciple, the younger one, he's faster than Peter is. And so he's running and he gets to the tomb first. And John shows up at the tomb. And uh, when he gets there, imagine this story, Peter and John, they've run however far it was, they, they, they get there and they see that the stone is rolled away. So that was true, right? Thank you, Mary, for letting us know that. And when they get there, John, it says, stoops to look in. It says he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. And so there you have John. He runs there. He's getting there. And all of a sudden, when he gets there and he looks around, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stoop. And so he stoops on down and he's like looking in there and he's, he's stooping and he's staring. One Republic actually wrote a song about this. And so he stoops and stares. He's looking in to the empty tomb. He sees the clothes. He's like, there's no body there. Uh, all right. He's stooping in, staring in, all of that, you know, and then, and then he just makes the decision. Yeah, those are, those are definitely Jesus's clothes. Yep, there's definitely supposed to be a body um, in those clothes, but there's no body in the clothes. Um, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay here, it says. Imagine that. He runs all the way there. He looks in and he doesn't go in. And some of you, this is your interaction with Christianity. You've run really close to the miracle. You've heard the historical statements of fact, and you've run really close, and you're so close to going into the place of the miracle and to actually experiencing something, but you just get up there, you stop, you look in, you stare at it a little bit, and then you don't go any further. Maybe that's where you've been at every Easter. You run in, you come, you, you hear the story a little bit, you look in, you go, well, that's fascinating. There's not a body in there and there's supposed to be a body in there. And there's definitely clothing uh, that was what he was wearing, but there's, there's no, but I'm, I'll just, I'll just stop here. And that's what John does. He just runs and he stops. And now behind John, you got old Peter who, um, you know, is coming up behind him, wasn't as quick of a runner. And so Peter gets there. And while John is just okay with stopping, oh, by the way, why didn't John go in? John didn't go in uh, for a couple of reasons we can conjecture. One is it was against his religion to go in because he was going to be so close to a dead body into a tomb, right? Even though the body wasn't there, it could have been in there. Another thing is there have been a lot of ghost stories going on lately. 
Again, a story for a different day, but that had been floating around. There also could have been the fact that maybe there were robbers in there, uh, that, that, that followers of Jesus weren't really being taken care of very well uh, or treated very well right now. Uh, and so there's some fear right there. And so John is okay with just stopping, not examining what's really going on. Now then Peter catches up. Okay, so Peter's running up behind him. By the way, uh, John got there first, um, but Peter was willing to go deeper in his faith. This is actually a parallel for some of our spiritual lives. Uh, Some of us, we used to be running really fast in our faith, but then we got to a place where we just stopped and said, this is good enough. And there was somebody who was behind us in our faith, and they actually were willing to go further. Some of us had gotten to a place spiritually where we think we got there first, and so we can just kind of chill out, but we haven't gone any further. Peter may have been moving slower, but he was willing to go deeper in his faith. And so Peter catches up to the tomb, and now he is going to run into the tomb. The text says he just bursts right through, hops on into the tomb, and he doesn't even stoop down or stare. He just hops on in, gets in there, sees the clothes. What is going on? John's like, well, if he's going to go, I'm going to go. Sometimes we need friends in our lives who are willing to go further spiritually than we are because they're going to show us things that we never saw. And so, John now follows Peter in. And so there's Peter and John in the tomb now, right? They've stooped, they've stared, they've looked, they've seen. There's no body. There's supposed to be a body. Where is the body? It says, then the other disciple, that was Peter, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw, I'm sorry, this is John it's referring to, and he saw and he believed. What did they believe? What did they believe? Well, the next line says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So apparently what they didn't believe was that Jesus has risen from the dead because they said yet didn't understand the scripture. So what did they believe? Well, they believed a historical fact. They believed that the tomb was gone. They believed that there was no body there, but they did not yet believe that Jesus had risen from the grave. It's one thing to believe the natural, the historical. It's one thing to believe that maybe he did rise from the dead. Maybe, maybe this is real. It's something else to believe that he was risen, that it, was, it moved beyond just the historical into the personal. And so John and Peter, after looking into the tomb, after seeing that there was no body there, come back out of the tomb now. They're standing in the middle of this garden with an empty tomb out, tomb out in front of them. And they look at each other and one of them goes, you want to go home? Sure, let's go home. And they leave. Their thought is with an empty tomb in front of them, no body to be seen. What? Let's just, let's go home. And so John and Peter turn around, they leave, and they walk back home. Maybe they ran. I don't know. Probably not because Peter didn't seem like much of a runner. So they start heading back home. The disciples went back to their homes. You have a person in your life um, who always wants to leave the thing early. Okay, my dad, great dad, love my dad, awesome father, Great father, really love my dad. Good guy, love my dad. He took us to a lot of baseball games when we were growing up. Great guy, took us to a lot of baseball games. Here's how it would typically happen. We would get there early because he wanted to get there. He didn't want to be late, right? So we'd get there early. And then um, about the second inning, my dad would say, so you guys want to go home now? 
Like, it's the second inning, Dad. Like, Sammy Sosa hasn't even batted yet. Like, no, we don't want to go home. Now, by like the fourth inning or the fifth inning, my dad would begin to shake. And I'm thinking now he was probably thinking, if these kids ask me for one more $20 bill, I'm going to hit one of them, right? And so uh, by the sixth or the seventh inning, like he's in full, like tapping everything, like almost convulsing. Like we have to go. There's going to be traffic. We're going to be in traffic. We're not going to get home till 930. That's already a half hour past his bedtime. Like, we need to go. Can we please leave? And then by the eighth inning, it was like dragging us out of the seats, bribing us to get into the car and to go home. I don't think I ever saw the ninth inning of a baseball game. One particular game, my dad goes through his little routine. And so there we are. Now, this was a Tiger game. We're driving home. We're on 75, right? And the Tigers had been, you know, losing because they're the Tigers. And you think they can't come back. It's the Tigers. Like, this is impossible. Like, you would never live uh, to a day to, to, to see the impossible happen, right? Them coming back. So we might as well just leave and go home. So there we are driving home on 75, when uh, turn, listening to the game on the radio, walk, hit by a pitch, walk, hit. I mean, of course, you know, they need some help from the other team. But the, the game is coming now closer and closer. I kid you not, two outs, three people on base, down by three. This is the stuff dreams are made of. I've played this scenario in my backyard a hundred times, except for normally it was the World Series. But in this particular game, we're driving home. They hit a grand slam and win the game. And my brothers and I are just staring at my dad. We could have been there, but you had to take us home. Peter and John, right there, right in front of the miracle. And they look at each other and go, yeah, let's go home. So they go home. One person stays behind. By the way, it was John who wrote this story. And so John is the one who wrote himself in as the fool and Mary as the hero. Mary, the one who had been saved from so much as Jesus had said. Mary, the one who religion had rejected. Mary, the one who had loved her Savior and would not let anything stop her. It says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Weeping. She's ugly crying outside the tomb of Jesus. And notice what John writes next. It says, as she wept, she stooped. To look into the tomb. She stoops down. My estimation is that she hadn't yet stooped. But now she's stooping because they stooped. So she's going to stoop. They went home. I think what's going through Mary's head is, where are you going? Peter and John, uh, maybe because you used to have businesses. uh, Maybe because there's still the feast to get ready for later today. And to uh, get back to religion. Maybe because all of that, you have somewhere else to go. But Mary's ugly crying going, I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't, I don't have any other hope. All I had was this, this guy who loved me when nobody else would. All I had my entire life was hinged on one thing. And then I saw it die. I don't have anything else. 
path to salvation and understanding Jesus begins when you realize I've got nothing else. You don't see resurrected Jesus unless you stoop down, unless you're willing to humble yourself. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care what your title is. I don't care how many religious services you've been to until you're willing to stoop down and humble yourself and look and say, I don't have a backup plan. I had one thing. I've got one thing, Jesus. And that's it. Until you're willing to do that, you don't get it. You can go back home, but you're going to miss the miracle. Some of you do that with Christianity now. You get so close to experiencing a new level of God. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Things are getting a little too emotional around here. Uh, the Holy Spirit seems a little too present right now. And so you run home when God's ready to take you to a new place. You keep it up in the intellectual when Jesus is ready to make it personal. And so Mary stoops in and she looks in. Peter and John looked in. They saw an empty tomb. They saw a historical statement. Mary looks in and she sees angels. Where do they come from? It's teaching us something. You don't get to start seeing the supernatural until you're so desperate for Jesus, you're willing to leave everything else behind. So Mary looks in, she sees angels. Whose faith do you want? Peter and John's or Mary's? I want Mary's. I want Mary's faith. So she looks in. And the angels actually say to her when she goes on in, woman, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? She goes, well, my savior died and his body's gone. And I don't know where he is. She's at the lowest moment of desperation. And what she doesn't know is that the risen miracle is literally standing right behind her. Isn't it amazing how in our darkest, most desperate moments, we can be so close to the miracle. And maybe you're in your darkest moment. The miracle is right here. In this text, it says Mary turned. In our modern day language, we know that that phrase, Mary turned, is just a synonym for repentance. It means to turn, to repent, and to look to Jesus. And so Mary looks back at this, this now live, not an angel, but this live physical body in front of her. And at first she doesn't recognize the miracle. She doesn't recognize that it's Jesus until Jesus calls her by name and says, Mary. And as soon as she hears her name, as soon as it goes from historical fact to personal, Mary cries out, Rabbanai. Teaching us the first thing. 
that when we repent and turn, our first act to Jesus is to yell out in worship, reference to our King and our Savior. Then it says she clings to Jesus. She clings to him. The desperate one who had now been from uh, forgiven for much. She doesn't know what else to do, but just to cling to Jesus. And so she just runs up and she, she grabs hold of him and she, and she loves Jesus. And she's holding on to Jesus because she's got nothing else. This is the only way of the gospel, friend. It's the only way of the gospel to cling to Jesus and to say, I don't have anything else. And as she's clinging to him, Jesus goes, whoa, girl, back off six feet. She, Jesus looks and goes, you can cling for a while, but now you got to go tell some people. Some of us, man, we're just clingers. We've just been clinging to Jesus and it's good to cling. We got to cling to Jesus every once in a while. But once we're done clinging, he says, no, 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 no. Now stop clinging and go start telling. This isn't just about you clinging to me. This is about you going and telling other people about me. So stop clinging and go start telling. And so Mary does what apparently Christians are supposed to do post-resurrection. Mary starts running again because now she's got something else to share. Not just a historical fact. She's got something personal to share. And so Mary starts running again. She starts running and running and she bursts back into the doors and all the men are sitting in there because they went home and missed the miracle and in burst Mary after her ugly cry, after her clinging to Jesus. And she looks in at him and she says three words. Three words that I think are the most personal words. Three words that are life-changing words. And in the midst of her, 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 her cries, in, in the midst of tears, but yet she's still smiling somehow, Mary bursts in, opens up the doors, looks at him, and gives the second proclamation post-Jesus' resurrection. Not a historical fact, but a personal experience. She breaks the doors open. She looks at him, and she goes, I saw Jesus. I saw him. You left you missed it. You went home. I saw Jesus. I saw him. I didn't just see an empty tomb. I saw him and I clung to him. He's alive. He, he's alive. I saw, guys, guys, you, you should not have gone. I saw him. I saw him. I saw Jesus. He's alive. This is not a historical moment. This is not just a day. This is the time when you get to stoop in and see Jesus to do as Mary did, to humble yourself, to repent, to turn to him, to cry out in worship, 
to cling then to your Savior. And then to run around and tell everybody, I saw Jesus. Do you see him this morning? Do you sense his love right now? I skipped over a part. As they were in that garden, as they were in that garden, Mary had thought that that was the gardener at first. And Jesus is pretty smart, so he knew what Mary was thinking. And Mary thought Jesus was the gardener because she was in a garden. And so there was Jesus and Mary, Jesus and a woman, Jesus and a desperate person in a garden. And it got me to thinking about the last time Jesus was in a garden alone. The last time Jesus was in a garden and had a conversation with a woman. It was a long time before. Back in a place called the Garden of Eden. When sin had broken into the world and Adam and Eve had hid from God because they were afraid. And the scripture says that God sent the angel of the Lord, which is just the fancy phrase that means Jesus. And so when the first sin had entered into the world, Jesus came down to earth and walked in a garden. He had a conversation with Eve where he said, one day a descendant of yours will crush the serpent's head and pay the penalty of sin. The last time Jesus was in a garden talking to a woman, he had predicted his own death. This time in a garden talking to a woman, he had defeated sin and he revealed his resurrection. As if to say, everything that was lost in the first garden is now restored right here in this moment, in this garden, garden to garden. When Jesus saved the soul of the criminal on the cross, he looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise which is just a slightly different translation to a word that means garden. And so as Mary right then experienced the resurrection power of Jesus, he was also letting her know, because I'm alive in this garden, one day all who call on my name will celebrate with me forever in another garden, paradise, from garden to garden. Friend, today, don't miss Jesus right now in this garden. Know the desperation of Mary. And all you have is Jesus. Humble yourself. Repent of your sin. And cling to Jesus. And when you do, you get a spot in the forever garden of paradise. I want to pray. And so wherever you're at, as long as you're not driving, will you do this ancient practice with me of closing your eyes and praying? Let's pray. So God, I pray right now for all those who are seeing Jesus right now for the first time. I pray for all of those 
who in their desperation right now can humble themselves and turn to you, Jesus, believing that your death was the payment for their sin, but that your resurrection was the power over it and the promise now of life forever in the new garden, in paradise, in heaven, with you forever, forever. It can never be taken away. And so in your home, in your living room, wherever you're at right now, pray this prayer. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that your death on the cross and your death alone is the work of my salvation. And I believe that your resurrection from the grave is personal and secures my spot in eternity. I believe in you. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like more information on our church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com.